Fie, Aguirre, want the birds to drop dead from the trees. And the birds will drop dead from the trees. I'm the wrath of God. The earth I pass will see me and tremble. Whoever follows me in the river will win untold riches. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We open today's film on Christmas Day in the year 1560 CE in South America. Hiking single file down a mountain in the jungle is a large troop of Spanish conquistadors, enslaved natives, and a couple well-dressed European women. This could be a pretty short episode this week as it's a 90-minute movie that moves at a slow and deliberate pace, so not a lot happens, and what does happen is only loosely based on actual events. Bleak would be the best way to describe this film. I think it was actually even a inspiration for Apocalypse Now. This expedition is looking thus far unsuccessfully for the legendary city of El Dorado, where they imagine they will find untold amounts of gold. Their supplies are running out, so their leader, Gonzalo Pizarro, sends a scouting party to sail ahead on the river. This is the brother of the more famous Francisco Pizarro, who conquered the Inca Empire a generation earlier. It's also our first instance of director Werner Herzog's creative license. Gonzalo Pizarro died 12 years before this, but basically Herzog combined two actual trips into one for his story, and here we are. And it doesn't really matter as we never see Pizarro in the film again. Our title character, Aguirre, is placed as second-in-command of the scouting party, though his ambition to lead, even over Pizarro, is evident. They set off on the river on four giant rafts, one of which is soon caught by the river against some rocks and kind of like a swirling thing so it can't get free. Then somehow overnight, most of the men on the raft die, and two are missing, seeming to have murdered the rest. The leader of their expedition wants to get the bodies and give them a Christian burial. Aguirre doesn't think they have time for that, and convinces another man to fire their cannon. Yes, they brought cannon on their raft to fire at the stranded raft, destroying their bodies so they can just move on down the river. Then, while everyone is camped on the shore for the night, the river rose 15 feet and carried away the remaining rafts. Keep in mind, this is the Amazon, there's no real shore, just the jungle where they can sleep. Again, this is all just very bleak. Ursua, the man leading the mission, decides they need to turn back and try to rejoin Pizarro before they are presumed dead and they won't come looking for them. Aguirre stages a quick coup, killing one man and wounding Ursua. So as not to seem obvious in his ambition, Aguirre nominates another man to lead them, Guzman, and then bullies everyone else into backing him as well. Aguirre names Guzman the Emperor of El Dorado and declares independence from Spain. And yes, that's as insane as it sounds. They then try Ursua for treason against their new country and find him guilty, but Guzman commutes his death sentence. Again, this is all a farce. They've built a new raft and are sailing down the river still. They hardly have any food, let alone a country. A while later, a native man and woman paddle up to the raft just to be friendly. The man is wearing a gold necklace, which gives the group hope, false hope obviously, that our characters are near El Dorado. With their food supplies critically low, the emperor is still enjoying feasts and then forces them to kick the remaining horse off the raft because it was annoying him. The men are grumbling behind his back because that horse could have fed all of them for a week or more. The emperor soon turns up dead, and Aguirre is now officially in charge. 
one of his first acts is to execute Ursula, the man whom Guzman had spared. Then basically the rest of the film is our party being picked off one by one by unseen natives hitting them with arrows and poison darts. Aguirre seems to be losing his mind and stands defiant against his followers and their shared fate. He proclaims that he, Aguirre, is the wrath of God. The film ends with Aguirre as the lone survivor on their raft telling his megalomaniacal plans to the small monkeys that infest the raft. The end. Now, I have to say I enjoyed recounting the movie way more than I enjoyed watching it. It was a painfully slow 90 minutes, and I don't think it holds up that well despite its 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. But yes, I think it would be incredibly powerful at maybe 70 minutes, as the, as the highlight reel sounds pretty good. Now, what really happened? First, let's talk about the real Lope de Aguirre. He was born into a noble family in Spain in the early 1500s. After seeing the riches brought back to Spain by earlier explorers, Aguirre was inspired to go as well and arrived in Peru in the mid-1530s. He quickly developed a reputation for violence and cruelty and for wanting to do away with the Spanish monarchy. He was involved in some turmoil between the differing Spanish factions, which ultimately led to a judge ordering him to be publicly flogged. Fearful of Aguirre, the judge went into hiding, but Aguirre tracked him down and killed him by stabbing him in the temple. Aguirre and his crew were later all pardoned and recruited to help put down a rebellion, and in 1560, he joined Pedro de Ursua on a quest to find El Dorado. Now, it appears Ursua had no delusions about actually finding El Dorado and was just hoping to keep people like Aguirre busy so they couldn't cause trouble elsewhere in the region. And in reality, hundreds of people were involved on the quest, not just the dozens we saw in the film. A year into the expedition, Aguirre overthrew and killed Ursua. A man named Guzman was briefly in charge before Aguirre gained power over the party. Here, El Dorado seems to have been completely forgotten about, and Aguirre terrorized the region with he and his men destroying villages on their way to the Atlantic Ocean. Nearly 200 soldiers signed a statement naming Aguirre the Prince of Peru, Tierra Firma, and Chile. They then seized an island off the coast of modern Venezuela where he killed the governor and others who resisted him. He was finally stopped when his men attempted to conquer Panama. He killed several of his own men who tried to capture him to turn him over to the Spanish authorities. He was shot, beheaded, and dismembered with pieces of him sent to neighboring towns to warn off others trying to be like Aguirre. I also haven't mentioned his daughter. She's not a significant character, but in both the film and real life, she seems to have been right there in tow with her father. She's one of the party killed with an arrow near the end of the movie, and in his ranting to the monkeys, Aguirre suggests that he could marry her to start a pure dynasty. In reality, he killed her right before his final capture so that none of his enemies could sleep with her. So, yeah, if anything, I think Herzog missed the opportunity to get even more into the story of this absolute psychopath that was Lope de Aguirre. The other major inspiration for the movie was Gonzalo Pizarro, the leader who sent off the scouting expedition at the beginning of the film. Gonzalo was named Emperor of Quito, the modern-day capital of Ecuador. There he first heard of the legend of El Dorado, or the Land of Cinnamon, as others called it. He recruited over 200 Spaniards and 4,000 natives as they began their search into the Andes Mountains and it was an utter failure. Roughly three-quarters of all the men died. Gonzalo returned to Quito only to learn his brother Francisco had been assassinated. Like Aguirre, Gonzalo had also been against the Spanish king. He rebelled against Spanish law, and one of his men even suggested that he should declare himself the king of Peru. Ultimately, Gonzalo's army deserted him, and he surrendered and was executed. The final person worth briefly mentioning here is Gaspar de 
Car- Carvajal. It's not a name you need to remember at all, but he was a missionary who Herzog uses as the narrator during the movie. He was part of Gonzalo's failed mission to find El Dorado. He did chronicle some of the exploratory missions of the Spanish at this time, and his writings have provided valuable insights for historians. He died as an old man, not on a raft with Aguirre, as Herzog portrayed. So what about the legend of El Dorado itself? It's Spanish for the Golden One, and originally referred to a man, a chief of the Muisca people of Colombia, who covered himself with gold dust. The legend changed over the years from a man, to a city, to an empire. Helping to firmly entrench the idea of El Dorado into European culture was the English explorer Sir Walter Raleigh. He led a 1595 expedition into South America to find it and wrote an exaggerated tale of riches upon his return to England. Raleigh was a writer and a politician and is the man whom Raleigh, North Carolina is named after. So in our overall timeline, we've kind of glossed over the whole Europe discovering America thing. Basically, I don't want to give a lot of attention to Christopher Columbus. His voyages did pave the way for European expansion into the Americas, but one, he didn't know where he was, and two, what followed was essentially the genocide of the Native American peoples. Pre-Columbian population numbers are hard to estimate, with the middle ground guess being somewhere around 50 million, but keep in mind the world population at the time was only around 500 million, so the New World was probably home to about 10% of the world's population. Now, as horrible as Europeans were to Native Americans deliberately, the far greater damage came from disease. By 1900, the Native American population had been reduced by about 90%. That's far, far more destructive than the Black Death ever was in Europe. One of my favorite YouTubers, CGP Grey, had a great video about this a couple years ago. He asked the simple question, Wait, why didn't the Europeans get sick? If the Europeans brought strange foreign diseases to the New World... Why didn't the Native Americans infect the Europeans with anything equally devastating? He goes into great detail, but what it comes down to is animal domestication. The old world, from Africa to Asia to Europe, just had animals better suited to domestication. Cows, pigs, horses, sheep, goats, etc. The Americas basically only had llamas. So, why does this matter? Again, to oversimplify, greater domestication led to greater food supplies. Then to greater cities, which were packed with these animals as well. People and animals living in close proximity by the thousands, if not millions. It was just this gross mess where all these deadly diseases originated in animals and transferred over into humans. A flu for a cow might become smallpox in a human. So Europeans weren't immune to Native American diseases. The Native Americans just had never developed any catastrophic diseases to give them. Similarly, I've also heard it said that if you time travel to the past, you would likely just kill everyone in the past with your diseases. So Bill and Ted could have seriously messed things up. Elsewhere in the world, around the same time as Aguirre's brief trip to find El Dorado, the Ottomans defeated the Spanish in a major naval battle, securing them as the dominant force in the Mediterranean. Again, we're about 100 years now after Vlad Tepes was battling the Ottomans. Akbar the Great rules the Mughal Empire in India. Galileo was born in the early 1560s in Pisa. And Protestantism, in its various forms, begins to spread all around Europe, which will lead to violence in France in the second half of the 16th century. And that's where we're headed next week, as we'll dive back into intolerance from 1916 to explore the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. <laughs> 